Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. Give us a rating on the iTunes store. And if you have a question for a future show, feel free to send us an email at info at You can also go to joemartino.com and click on the Contact Me page. Until next time, remember, change possible. Hello, my name is Joe and I'm your host. Today we are going to talk about the second part of last week's episode. Last week we talked about the four emotional hazards, or as one of my friends calls them, the four apocalypse of relationships. I actually can't use that title. One of my man crushes who's very famous in this field used that to describe four different hazards uh, for relationships in one of his books. But I'm not going to tell you because he's not paying me any advertising fees. My coffee hasn't kicked in yet. Okay, let's talk about once we get into a pattern, hopefully if you listen to last week's episode, you are more aware, more cognizant. You are more in tune with the idea of being on the lookout for the four emotional hazards. What I want to talk about today is what do you do to avoid them? How do you manage them? How do you move them out of your relationship and out of your communication? But first, let's review really quickly. What is communication? Communication is words and all that goes with words. So our body language, our eyes, our brows moving up and down, our hands, all of those things. Everything that goes with words plus the story in my head plus emotion and then I get meaning and I try to convey that meaning to the other person. So in order to have good communication, we have to agree on what the story in our head is based on the words that we're using. This is one of the reasons that arguments spin out so much is because people get caught in those four hazards and they just keep spinning because they're arguing over the words and they don't actually disagree over the words. They disagree over the story in the person's head on either side of the end of communication about what those words mean. Kyle is talking to his wife, Jess, and she's right near the end of their their first pregnancy together and they're stressing the home. Her hormones are doubling every day and going all up and down and she doesn't feel good. And he says to her, "What's what are we doing for supper? And everybody agrees on those words. And she is like, what, do you expect me to make you supper? I'm 41 weeks pregnant. I hurt my feet, hurt my ankles are swollen. Everything hurts. And he's like, no, I was just wondering what we're eating. And suddenly they're having an argument, not over the words, but over what the story in each person's head meant. And one of the reasons that I think our relationships are deteriorating is we typically then tell people what words to use to create a different story in our head rather than trying to create a story in our head that matches their story, rather than just trying to understand the story that was in their head based on the words that they were trying to use. And so today I want to talk to you about how we do that. How do I change my perspective rather than trying to tell my wife the words that she should use to alter the story in my head? What if I try to just understand the story in her head? In the Kyle and Jess situation, what if Kyle just tried to understand what Jess meant or Jess just tried to understand what Kyle meant? How would they chase that down? Now, to be fair, to be honest, I hate the phrase be fair. Fair is a place where you pay people to pet pigs. To be uh, full disclosure, both parties can change how they approach the conversation and they can actually make this change a habit. So let's start with the speaker first. Most of the time when people talk, they say things like, you make me, you said this and it made me, you did this and it made me, that made me, this made me, Donald Trump being elected made me, Donald Trump not being elected made me, you said this and that made me, blah, blah, blah. That is a wrong statement. I'll say it again. If you say a statement that starts with, that made me, You're starting out with one hand tied behind your back, both feet tied together in quicksand that's on fire, and it's just not a very good approach. 
Well, Joe, I'm just expressing how I feel. No, actually what you're doing is you're shifting ownership for how you feel to the other person. So one of the things that we teach people is what we call the ABC method or the this, that method. When A happens, I feel B and I'd like to feel C. When you say A, I feel B and I'd like to feel C. Now you don't always have to say C, sometimes it's pretty obvious, but you'll notice the key difference. We took the phrase, it makes me, you make me out of it. We just wanna deal with facts. When this happens, I felt. In the Jess and Kyle situation, Jess might have said to Kyle, when you say what's for dinner, I feel like you're suggesting I should be the one cooking. Those are facts. He stated that, that's how she felt. When you say it makes me or you make me, what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for a sideways conversation that doesn't get you anywhere. Because then you start arguing about, well, why am I responsible for you? And not only that, even if you don't have that conversation, you are giving up your own, your own power over yourself. You don't have to act out of that feeling. You can move out of that feeling. You're responsible for you. So if you say, when this happens, I feel, this is the this, that method. It's just another way to say the ABC method. When this happens, I felt that. When you said that, I felt this. All we want to do is piece two facts together. When I heard that the USA and the World Cup, or it was not in the World Cup, nor was Italy, I felt sad and kind of bummed because those are the two countries I cheer for. When my wife said... Hey, I'm making your favorite dish for dinner tonight. I felt excited. When I backed my truck into my wife's truck, we both felt despair. When this happened, I felt. So just just put those two things together. What this does is it helps you avoid all four of the emotional hazards. There's no negative feedback loop. It's just, this is what I felt about this one event. There's no bad guy. It's not you made me, it made me. It's just, this is how I felt. There's no hunting or running. There's no turning the intensity up beyond what it's what what it you know will just naturally be from having a conversation about something that you didn't like. There's no silence. So nobody's making anybody pay. There's no hunting and running. It, it's it's all there, and you're not sitting out because you're engaging. When this happens, I felt that. When you said this, I felt that. When you said A, I felt B. When you didn't do A and you said you would, I felt B. Whatever it is, you just pair what happened with how you felt, and you say them both proactively. This happened, and I felt. So that's the first way that we approach a conversation in order to be better at it, in order to protect our relationships, in order to move our relationships forward. That is the first thing that we do. But then let's let's talk about this for a minute. Let's just suppose that your significant other came to you and said, hey, when you did this, I felt, and it's a negative feel. What do you think your natural inclination is going to be? What do you think your natural response is going to be? Yeah, it's probably going to be defensiveness. Like if my wife comes to me and says, hey, when you said that, I feel like you were being rude. Well, my response is, my natural response, my, my inward person is going to want to respond defensively. I was not. That's silly, right? We're going to get caught in those three Ds that we talked about. So we have to have a better response. And that better response starts with trying to understand first what the other person's saying. In essence, if you want to be a good communicator, you have to assume the role of attorney for the other person as though it were your job to argue their case in court. 
and that the law demanded you argue it exactly the way they wanted it argued, which I realize is not real, but that's that's what we have to consider. Too many of us, we sell out to the idea of making the other person understand us, that we try to force feed our ideology, our thought, what we're trying to communicate, we just shove it down their throat. And so if we're a hunter, we just get louder. Well, it's not that they can't hear you, it's that they don't understand you and you're having a miscommunication. And so one of you, uh, and this is typically, I would encourage it to be the person who is receiving the information first, has to become a better listener, which means you seek to understand. So let me teach you the long way first. We call this the mirror method, and you've probably heard different versions of it under a thousand different names. But what we call this, like I said, is the mirror method. So we want to mirror to the other person what we think they're saying, those are the words, plus what we think is the story in their head, plus what we think their emotions are, plus what we think their meaning is. We can't always do that all at once, right? So we might break it down into parts, to words first, and then to story in their head, and then to meaning and emotions. But we want to listen, we want to affirm, we want to repeat, reword, paraphrase, and then we want to confirm. So it might be something like this, and this would be the long way. Let's say that you're in the middle of a fight and you realize that you're engaging in the four emotional hazards in a way that is destructive because how could you not be in a destructive place if you're engaging in those? And so you might say to your spouse, you know, if it was my wife, I might say, Erica, uh, I know we've been fighting and I know I haven't been doing a very good job trying to listen to you, but I want to, and I just realized that I wasn't. If it's all right with you, uh, I'd like to say back to you what it is that I think you're saying and what I think you think it means so that I can better understand you and better understand what you're trying to communicate with me so that we can have a conversation that protects our relationship. Would that be okay with you? Now, I've never had anybody who pr tried this come back and say, well, I did that, and she said no, or I did that, and he said no. Almost every time, the person is going to say yes because they want the relationship to move forward too. They want you to hear them. They want to feel connected to you, and so they move forward in that way. That's the long way. That's like driver's ed teaching you to have your hands on 9 and 3 or 10 and 2, whichever one your driver's ed picked. There is a shorter way that can be used all the time. And this is really simple. You think of it like verbal catch. You catch what they're saying. You just toss it back to confirm that that's what they're saying. So you might say something like, uh, Erica, if I hear you right, or Matt, if what you're saying is this, or Mindy, are you saying, or John, you know, what are you saying to me here? Is this what you're saying? Here's what I think you're saying. In other words, you repeat back to them what you think they're saying, but you do it positioning it, admitting that you could be wrong, right? Here's what I think you're saying. And I realize it could be inaccurate. The goal is to help your partner feel heard before you seek to be heard. So your spouse says to you, I feel like you were too harsh on the kids when they threw the brand new TV through the front window. It's just a thing. In your mind, you're incredulous. You're like, are you kidding me? Just a thing? That was like, you know, 7K, blah, 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 whatever it is, 4K, I know, I think is what they have out right now. And the front window, and it's going to cost this amount of money to fix, and blah, blah, blah. And so you just tell her, ah, you're wrong. That TV was expensive. That window's expensive. We don't have money staying around. We want to send them to college. There you are. You're always coddling them, blah, blah, blah. That's not good listening. Good listening would be responding with, so you're saying that you feel like I was too hard on the kids uh, when they broke the window with the TV. Is that right? Most of the time, you're going to get more information. Yes, I actually feel like you do that a lot. You do that all the time. If they say all the time, probably wouldn't be the exact perfect time to point out, hey, we're supposed to avoid always and never. But, you know, if you haven't been to one of my conferences, you could learn strategies. You could come 
and learn strategies on how to do that as well. But okay, so you say to her, you know, hey, you feel like I was being too hard on the kids. And, and she's like, yes, and probably more information is coming. And then you mirror that. Here's where people get hung up. They're like, okay, so I keep saying back to them what I think they're saying. How do we move forward? It's really simple. You ask, would it be all right if I told you why I don't think I was too hard on them? Right? Or you could even ask more questions. Well, do you feel that the TV was expensive? Do you agree that we spent a lot of money on it and now we're not going to get to use it and that getting the front window fixed cost us a lot of money? And you could even, if you're really bold, if you're really courageous and you really want to build your relationship, you could even say, could you tell me what you think a measured response would have been? One of the most interesting things to me is people, they marry someone and somewhere in that ceremony, they promise to love them and no other. They promise to put them above everyone else. They, they essentially said that I have found the one for whom my soul longs. I have found the person that, that is more, means more to me than anyone else on earth. And then they don't want to hear their opinion on how they should do something. That doesn't actually ring true and jive. The question becomes, well, okay, well, how, how do you think I should have responded? What would you have liked to have seen me do there? What would have been an appropriate response in your mind there? Asking them, what does it look like done right? This is a great tool. It is so awesome when I see couples saying to each other, okay, well, what would it look like for me to do it in a way that you thought was appropriate? Because here's the thing, they might actually give you information that you're like, oh, wow, actually, you know what? That would be better. I could do that. That isn't hard at all. This is good listening. This is avoiding those four emotional hazards because what you're doing is, is you're recognizing that you and your partner, you and your spouse disagree, but you're inviting them into a deeper conversation and you're keeping the focus of the conversation held on a solution. You're not, you're not ignoring that there's a problem. You're not pretending that the problem doesn't exist, but you're also moving your focus forward to look at what does a solution look like? How are we moving forward to solve this? What we're trying to do is we're trying to piece together the story in their head. What does it mean for you when you say this? If I said to you, it's all... What does that mean? Like if you came to my house and you're like, hey, can I have a ginger ale? Oh yeah, sure, but it's all. Is that the brand? Is that the kind of ginger ale? There was a area where I grew up that it's all meant it's all gone. What if you called me up and you were like, hey, do you want to go play some pickleball? And I said, oh, I can't. I got a red up. Do you know what that means? To my neighbors growing up, red up mean, meant to clean the house. Words all mean different things to different people. That's just one of the realities we live in. And as a society, we agree that blue means blue. But when we start getting into feelings and personal opinion, what we actually have is a story that's running and we often don't take the time to get to that story. So how we do this is we utilize the mirror method, right? And the mirror method chases down the story in the other person's head. So could you tell me what that means? And if they say yes and they tell you, then you mirror that. So you're saying it means da 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 One of the truths of humanity is people tend to talk more when they're frustrated, not less, especially if they've hit the anger point, right? So, so it's almost like you're caught trying to drink out of a fire hose, this, this, this torrent of information. And so what you have to do is you have to kind of pick out the pieces that you think are relevant and offer them back to your partner. So are you saying this? One time my wife and I were traveling actually to a conference and we were driving and she said something and I said something and suddenly 
the whole thing changed and we just mirrored it out. And, and what it was is she doesn't like riding in a car for very long. And it was a long trip. It was like eight hours, 10 hours. And as we went all the way through it, I said, would it be right if I told you what I think is happening? And she said, yes. And I said, I think you're just kind of frustrated because you're in the car. I am not. Okay. Well, would it be all right if we just agreed to disagree? Yes. And then we sat in the uncomfortable silence of letting that energy burn out. And then the next day at the conference, we're reliving the, the conversation, actually teaching mirror method. She agreed. Yeah, I was just sick of being in the car, in the truck. Right. And so what happens is when we mirror, are you saying, if I hear you right, do you think, right? So let's just say, let's say Matt comes home and he says to his wife, I found a boat that I really want to buy. It's on sale. It's, you know, the middle of June. So it's, it's cheaper than it was just a month ago. It's only blah, blah, blah dollars. And she says, no, I don't think we can afford that. His temptation would typically be, see, there you go again, always controlling the money or have some sort of fight. Instead, he could say, so you're saying that you don't think we can afford it. Is that right? And let's just say that she said yes. He got a one word answer. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Then he could say, well, what if I could show you how I think we could afford it? And then give her the information. Uh, Whatever it is, when you do this, I feel when you say you're going to be home at five, this is one I pick on all the time. When you say you're going to be home at five, and you're not actually home till seven and you don't call or text, I feel like you're ignoring me. Oh, so you're saying that you feel like when I don't call you, it's frustrating for you because you don't know where I'm at. Now, the person didn't say that. You're interpreting a little bit because you're asking questions about the story. Now, here's the thing. In the book, The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce, the authors actually say in the beginning of chapter one uh, that it's their experience that people's voice will raise to lyrical heights when they finally feel heard. If you want your partner, your spouse to feel heard, you want your children to feel heard, honestly, if you want your coworkers to feel heard, just mirror them. And look, it's hard. I'm a counselor. I spent an entire semester learning this skill at a whole deeper level. And there are still times I'll walk away from a conversation, man, I interrupted those poor people so many times. I just cut them off. Now, most of those conversations, there's not a lot of emotional energy invested in it. It's not an argument. It's not a disagreement. You know, uh, we're talking about something fun. But it's still, we just habitually tend to cut people off as humans. Or we don't talk, right? This finds the middle ground. So we start with, this happened, this is how I felt. When this happened, this was how I felt. There is no, you made me, it made me, I felt this way because of you. And you might be saying, well, Joe, that's just, you're just playing semantics. No, I'm trying to make you a word ninja. I'm trying to make myself a word ninja. My hope is that all of the words we choose to use will protect our relationship, will protect the people we love, even if the words we use are hard for them to hear. When you told me this bill was paid and I come home and our cable doesn't work, this is an argument I just heard recently from a couple I come home and our cable doesn't work because you didn't pay the bill, I feel frustrated, right? And so we actually role-played this conversation out. And I said to the, the other partner, I said, okay, well, how would you respond to that? And they responded with, so you're saying that you're frustrated because I told you the bill was paid and it wasn't. Yeah, that's really frustrating to me. If, if, if you can't be trusted to do something as simple as pay a bill, what else does that mean? Now, here's the thing, right there at that moment, a lot of people would be incredibly tempted to jump in with a defense. Instead, a ninja communicator would say, so you wonder if I can't be trusted in these other areas because that bill wasn't paid and I told you it was. Is that right? Question mark. 
Notice I you don't actually say question mark. I'm just making sure that you hear it. You can't see my face. You can't see my hands. Positioning it as though I could be wrong. And so the first person responded, yeah, actually, that is something I wonder about. Okay. So now the response is, well, would it be all right with you if I told you why I think that isn't something you have to be concerned about? To which the first person said, yes. Okay, well, I've not lied to you anywhere else in our relationship. Would you agree with that? person said, yes. Uh, I pay all of our other bills on time. Would you agree with that? Yes. Well, you didn't. Okay, but that's been two years ago. I don't remember. It was a long time, maybe four years ago. Is that right? First person says, yeah, it's been two or three years, whatever they said. So the second person, the person who didn't pay the bill said, I thought I paid it and I just didn't hit submit. It was set up online and, and I just didn't catch it. I'm sorry. Now, here's the thing. They can still apologize for the inconvenience, for the miscommunication of information. They could even point out that there's a difference between something being sincerely believed but inaccurate and a lie. But the thing that they can't do and be a ninja and protect the relationship and be as loving as possible is get defensive. That won't work. And so what they have to do is they have to lean into the discomfort. They have to work on understanding the other person. And then when they see the other person physically start to calm down or deflate, they start getting one word answers. They ask, would it be all right with you if I told you what I think? Would it be all right with you if I shared with you why I think your concern is something you don't have to be concerned about? We start with when this happened, this is how I felt. When you said that, I felt this. And then we mirror and we work at trying to hear the other person. Now, I want to give you a few just practical understandings here. Things are still going to be elevated. There's still going to be tension. That's not bad. It's what you do with it that matters, right? But if you can engage the ABC method, the this, that method, and bring them together in a way where you continue to move the conversation forward, you will protect your relationship and you will solve problems and that will create health between you and your partner, between you and your spouse. It's an amazing way to communicate with your children. A couple of years ago, I had a friend who I met with every Saturday uh, and he came to one of my marriage conferences and he and his, something he and his wife just do regularly. They, they find ways to invest in their relationship. And so he came for the day and... You know, we did the conference and then the next week he showed up and he, at our weekly meeting and he said, holy cow, that mirror method thing is amazing. He had an adult, he has an adult daughter. Uh, he said she came in and, and she was living at home at the time and she was very fired up with his wife and his wife utilized the mirror method. He said, you could literally watch it from across the room. You could watch uh, Katie, that's his daughter, not a real name. I made it up. Uh, you could watch her literally just all of the pressure just kind of let out of her. He's like, and the conversation moved forward. It was solved and she felt heard. My wife was able to stop her from feeling like, like she was attacked, being attacked. And it actually protected the relationship. Welcome to emotional security. Right. So this week, I want you to try this. I want you to try asking a clarifying question to the person. Do you mean this? Are you saying that? I just want to make sure I understand you before I respond. Would that be okay with you? Try any or all of those methods and see how it works. Any of those approaches, since that's one method, different approaches. If you are interested, this is in my book, The Emotionally Secure Couple, which is available on Amazon. If you live local, it is at all of our offices. It's also at Schuler's on 28th Street. Uh, it's chapter 17, I believe. No, not chapter 17. 
It's chapter 16, page 221. If you swing by one of our offices, we do have uh, autographed copies if that's something that's interested in you. If you're a Kindle person, it is also on the Kindle. Utilize these methods, protect your relationship, move forward. All right. Happy summer day to you. Till next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. Give us a rating on the iTunes store. And if you have a question for a future show, feel free to send us an email at info at joemartino.com. You can also go to joemartino.com and click on the Contact Me page. Until next time, remember, change possible.